On this Reformation Sunday, I want to give thanks to Pastor Ying and Pastor Ken for inviting our church to join you, One Church, along with the Karenny Church of Dallas, for this joint Reformation Sunday service. Our scripture text today will be 2 Timothy 3. We'll start at verse uh, 15. 2 Timothy 3, 15. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're gathered together today under the authority of your word and in the presence of the risen Christ. May your Holy Spirit be among us to instruct our minds and build us up in our holy faith. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the year 1517, the Christian church in Europe was in serious trouble. She was in the middle of a centuries-long drift away from the authority, authoritative truth of the Bible. False doctrines had crept in and were sapping the life out of the church, out of its people. The truths of the Holy Scriptures as to how a person could come to know God and be saved from their sins had gotten covered over and hidden under the teachings and practices of the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman system of religion had taken over the driver's seat. Its system distorted much biblical truth and made, made up rules that the people had to keep if they ever hoped to have a chance to get to heaven. The sovereign grace of God who rescues sinners and makes them into new men and women with new hearts was replaced by a man-centered system which had pushed Christ aside and put itself in his place. Into this terrible situation, this dire situation, something radical had to happen to rescue and restore God's church to the way it was in those early years after Christ had risen from the dead and poured out his Holy Spirit on his people. What was the church like when it first began? We read in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, that after the day of Pentecost, the newly baptized believers met together and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. In the early church in Jerusalem, for their weekly gatherings, there were four major things they did. First of all, they listened to the apostles' doctrine. As the uh, apostles, Peter, John, James, and the others, instructed the people, gathered in groups around the city, instructed them regarding the life and teachings of Christ. And part of their gathering included the breaking of bread, which meant they would share the Lord's Supper together, remembering his death and resurrection, and then they would pray together. Many prayers of thanksgiving and intercession. In addition, they would fellowship with one another. They'd share their lives and rejoiced in the salvation they'd received in Christ. What a blessed and happy time it was. So in the early years of the church, it was the Word of God 
taught by the apostles that determined everything the church believed and practiced. By the end of the first century, all the Gospels and letters of the New Testament had been written and were being circulated among the churches. These New Testament documents, along with the Old Testament, became the authoritative source for all that the churches believed and practiced. As century after century passed by, the supreme authority of the Scriptures began to be eroded by foreign teachings and practices that were gradually introduced into the church. Beginning in 590 A.D., under Pope Gregory I, the Roman Catholic Church began to gradually take on more of the form that we see today. Over the following centuries, the church began to adopt teachings and practices that were not in the Bible. These were teachings brought into the church by popes and bishops. The official teaching of the Roman Catholic Church began to turn the people's attention and faith away from Jesus Christ and instead to itself as the giver or withholder of salvation for the people. The church's own teaching supplanted and overrode Jesus' authority as is seen in the Bible. Plus, two other authorities were added in the Roman Catholic Church. The first was the church's traditions. This would include practices like praying the rosary, which were a set of beads that you counted off as you said your Hail Marys, or praying to Mary, the saints and angels. These were traditions passed down. And then a third source of authority in the Catholic Church was the magisterium. What is the magisterium? It's the official teaching authority of the church constituted by the pope and the bishops in union with him. So these two other authorities were added to the Bible. The Bible was no longer supreme. The magisterium, the decisions and teachings and declarations of the popes and bishops became the real authority in the church. For example, at the Council of Florence in 1439, the doctrine, the Roman Catholic doctrine of papal primacy was established. And let me read you what that council stated. It says, We likewise define that the holy apostolic see, see means government, the Holy Apostolic See and the Roman Pontiff, that's the Pope, hold the primacy throughout the entire world. And that the Roman Pontiff himself is the successor of Blessed Peter, the chief of the apostles, and the true vicar of Christ, and that he's the head of the entire church, and the father and teacher of all Christians, and that full power was given to him in Blessed Peter by our Lord Jesus Christ to feed, rule, and govern the universal church. We Protestant believers do not accept this statement. Jesus, not popes and bishops, is the head of his church on earth, and he's present with us by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> by the early 1500s, one of the greatest problems in the Roman Catholic Church, and most people in Europe were part of this church, you're born into the church, the problem was that the contents of the Bible were hidden from the people because the Bible being used was called the Vulgate. It was an old version of the Bible written in the Latin language. And the whole worship service, which was called the Mass, uh, 
was conducted in the Latin language. The bottom line was that the people could not understand the Bible nor anything else in the service of the Mass. It was in a foreign tongue. And the church, in addition, forbade, prohibited the translation of the scriptures into the languages of the people, prohibited the reading of the scriptures in the languages of the people, or the use of the Bible in the common languages of Europe, such as French, German, or English. Well, the church had to respond to the Reformation, which began officially in church history in the year 1517. They had to respond to this volcano that was erupting as these uh, men of God, these reformers, began to call for return to the Bible. So in response to this volcano that had erupted in the Roman Catholic religion, they established another council called the Council of Trent. And here's a reading from 1546 regarding the use of the Vulgate. Here I quote, The same council ordains and declares that the old Latin Vulgate edition, which in use for so many hundred years has been approved by the church, and that no one dare or presume under any pre pretext whatsoever to reject it. So, the Latin Vulgate was established. Well, what does the Bible say about this? Does God expect his people to hear his word in their own language and understand it? Let's listen to Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Here we see that the people gathered together those who could understand, and the people were attentive to the book of the law. So there was speaking, reading, listening, and attention being all taking place here. And in the New Testament, we read such text as Colossians 4, 16, which says, And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. So it's clear here that the letters of the apostles were to be read in the churches so the people could hear and understand and receive the teachings of the apostles. Let's listen to another New Testament text, this one from uh, the Revelation, chapter 1, verse 3, which the Apostle John wrote, says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. What does the Bible say here? Who are the blessed ones? Well, it's those who read the Word of God, who hear it, and who keep what is written. The Protestant reformers during this time were men who had gone back to study the original languages that the New Testament and the Old Testament were written in, that's Greek and Hebrew, and they began to see clearly that the Roman Catholic Church over the centuries had departed far from the Bible in many areas. 
It had shifted far, it had drifted far from the shore of biblical truth. So the reformers, men such as Martin Luther in Germany, John Calvin in Geneva, Switzerland, and William Tyndale in England rejected the false teachings that had arisen in the Roman Catholic Church. Instead, they translated the Bible into the languages of the people, and they opened up the true teaching of the Word of God to the people. The light was dispelling the darkness. They advocated for a return to the Bible alone as the supreme authority in what the, church, the Christian church believes and practices. Now, the Latin term for this position is sola scriptura, the scriptures alone. So what is to be our real and final authority in Christ's church? It is the Bible and the Bible alone. Sola scriptura, the Bible alone. When Martin Luther, the famous German reformer, was put on trial in 1521 before Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor, for his teachings, which contradicted the Roman Catholic Church in vital areas, he was put on trial. He was told to recant, to deny his belief in the authority of the Scriptures. He responded, and I quote to you, he said, Unless I am convicted by Scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and will not recount anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Well, the supremacy of the Word of God is clear from such statements as that. And here's another uh, statement, a written one, <clears throat> written by John Calvin in his French Confession of Faith of 1559. Let me quote you what he said about the Word of God. <clears throat> he said <clears throat> in this French Confession, <clears throat> excuse me, we believe that the Word contained in these books has proceeded from God and receives its authority from him alone and not from men. And inasmuch as it is the rule of all truth, containing all that is necessary for the service of God and our salvation, it is not lawful for men or even for angels to add to it or take away from it or to change it. Whence it follows that no authority, whether of antiquity or custom or numbers or human wisdom or judgments or proclamations or edicts or decrees or counsels or visions or miracles should be opposed to these holy scriptures. But on the contrary, all things should be examined, regulated, and reformed according to them. End of the quote. In the church of Jesus Christ, all that we believe and practice must come from the Scriptures. The Scriptures alone are our authority. They are totally sufficient and clear to instruct us in the nature of God, His will for our lives, and how we can be saved from our sins through faith in His Son. Let's look at our text today 
which affirms sola scriptura. This is Paul's letter to his son, Timothy, which I read earlier, <clears throat> 2 Timothy 3, 12 through 17. There are three things I want to point out to us today, how this text demonstrates sola scriptura. Let me read you again the text. How from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Three things I want to point out in this text today. This passage shows us how crucial and powerful the Word of God is. First of all, the Scriptures are able to make us wise in knowing the way of salvation through faith in Jesus. That's verse 15. Notice it says, the sacred Scriptures are able to do something. They have the ability, the power. They're not powerless. They're not weak. They're not ambiguous. They're very clear. They are able to do something that nothing else in the world can do, no other book, no video. They can give us the wisdom we need to know the way of salvation through faith in Jesus. We all have a big problem. we got a problem with sin. We're born with it. And we don't have the power. We do not have the power to overcome the sin in our lives. But God has the power. He sent His Son to rescue us from the power of sin and from its punishment. How can we find the way to be rescued from the punishment that our sins deserve? It's only in the Christian scriptures that we find the answer. It's by repenting of our sins and by believing in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Secondly, this text says this in verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God. The Christian scriptures, the Old and New Testaments, did not originate in the thoughts of men. They came from God's thoughts and God's purpose and the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit. God is the one who breathed out through men the message he wanted to communicate to humanity. He put the thoughts that he wanted to communicate in the minds of the prophets in the Old Testament, in the minds of the apostles in the New Testament, and they wrote them down. They wrote in their own languages and in their own culture and with their own personalities. But what they preached and wrote was governed and directed by God's invisible spirit so that what they wrote was exactly what God wanted to communicate. Someone has said that when we read the scriptures, it is really God preaching to us. Because God the Holy Spirit gave us the scriptures through the instrumentality of prophets and apostles, the Bible carries the very authority of God himself. We must therefore heed them and obey them. We cannot allow anything else to take their place. No other teaching, no other religion, no other spiritual force or power or information. Jesus often used the phrase, it is written, when he talked to people. What he meant by this term is that he was pointing back to the Old Testament, to its authority, and what is written there is by the hand of God. Because it comes from God, it is authoritative, it needs to be heeded and obeyed. 
this same truth holds for the New Testament scriptures. When we read the Bible, we are getting the message that God himself wants us to know. The scriptures, most importantly, lead us not only to the knowledge of God, but to salvation. They're inspired by God. They carry the authority of God himself as if God was speaking directly to us, person to person. So, in this text, we see, first of all, the scriptures are able to lead us to faith in Jesus. And secondly, because they are God-breathed, inspired by God, they carry the very authority of God himself. Thirdly, we see that the scriptures are profitable for every kind of spiritual growth. They're profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The key to spiritual growth and maturity is knowing the scriptures. What do they do? They shape us. They mold us into the kind of people who bring glory to God. One of the chief ways the Lord gets the teachings of his scriptures into our minds and hearts is through congregational worship and instruction. The pastors and teachers in the churches, in our churches, teach us the scriptures, helping us to be equipped to be knowledgeable Christians, humble Christians, and effective servants of Christ. Now, I have a garden in my backyard. I grow several kinds of vegetables. And I have learned that without water and fertilizer and sunlight and getting rid of weeds and insects, if you don't do that, you're not going to get much produce out of your garden. So we also, we need something to grow and produce. We need the nourishment of the Word of God to grow and mature as garden, as Christians. We treasure this period in church history, 500 years ago, called the Reformation, because the church was rescued, it was drowning, it was dying, because it had departed from the Word of God. What was needed was the recovery of the authority and sufficiency and clarity of the Word of God, and it happened by the grace of God. The Word of God, the Bible, was no longer hidden but was then made known in the languages of the people, and that process has been going on ever since. The Bible is still being translated into the languages of the world. Teachings and practices that were contrary to the Word of God were rejected, and biblical teaching and worship began to be restored to the church. Well, what does this mean for us today? First of all, it means we do not intend to retreat or back off from the strong stand on the supreme authority of the scriptures that the reformers recovered. Now let's listen to a more recent statement by conservative evangelical churches on the authority of the Bible. This is called the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy from 1978. I quote, Holy Scripture being God's own word, written by men, prepared and superintended by His Spirit, is of infallible divine authority in all matters upon which it touches. It is to be believed as God's instruction 
in all that it affirms, obeyed as God's command in all that it requires, embraced as God's pledge in all that it promises. Well, here it is. The scriptures, we must declare them. We must defend them. Secondly, we must believe in the one to whom the scriptures point to, the Lord Jesus Christ, and take him as our Lord and Savior. We must, in other words, dedicate our lives to Jesus, to his worship and service. Thirdly, we should be thankful that we have our Bibles in our own languages so that we can read and hear and understand the Word of God. We should delight in the scriptures that have been placed in our hands for our understanding. Fourthly, we must take up the sacred writings and read them. Not just let them lay there in our house unopened, but open them up, read them. We have a great feast, a great treasure of the knowledge of God and of His will for us. So God has provided this for us. Often, by means of martyrs who shed their blood to make the scriptures known in the languages of the people. So we must devour the scriptures as, as men who had been starving without food for a month and where a great feast is set before us. We must devour the scriptures. We must read them. And fifthly, since salvation... Is found in no other name, no other name under heaven but the name of Jesus. We must labor to make the word of God known, to make the Savior known to our generation, to the people around us. We must disseminate the word of God. So here we have it today on Reformation Sunday, sola scriptura, the scriptures alone. We must defend the scriptures. We must dedicate ourselves to the one to whom the, the Scriptures point, the Lord Jesus Christ. We must delight in the great gift of the languages of the Bible in our, in our own uh, tongue, the translation in our own tongue. We must devour them as men hungry and starved, and, and then we must disseminate the Scriptures to the people who do not know about the Word of God, who do not know the Savior. Well, praise the Lord. We have these precious scriptures before us to read in our own language, to grow in the knowledge of our God and of his will for us. Sola Scriptura, the scriptures alone. Let's pray together. Gracious God, you've not left us in ignorance and darkness, but have sent the light of your truth to us through the sacred writings of the Old and New Testaments. May their transforming power continually work in our lives to the glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.